You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, you heard it read. I think, I think one of the um, just greatest pictures of Paul's uh, passion for the gospel and him going, get it right, get it right, which is, makes it very intimidating to stand up and do a whole series on the gospel, by the way. But that's Paul, Paul is saying, I preach this to you. Don't you change it one bit. And he goes through, you heard what you heard what was read, and then he goes through a whole list that I didn't make her read. I'll, I'll show it to you in just a minute about, Paul says, then I went to Arabia, and then I went to Damascus, and then I went to Syria and Cilicia, and I saw Peter. And he kind of goes through this whole list of things. And then here's how he ends the whole section in verse 24. It says, all these places he went, it says, and they glorified God because of me. Sounds a little cocky, doesn't it? Like imagine if I went, we have a ministry in Tanzania. I went to Tanzania and I got to visit a bunch of people. And then you go, Jim, how was it? I was like, oh, it was great. They went and everybody was just praising God and glorifying God because of me. You would go, I think we need a new pastor here. Or he needs a dose of humility, doesn't he? Like, so how, what does it mean? And they glorified God because of me, because you go, that's a little, little cocky there, Paul. Um, the reality is, and I wanna show this to you, that context matters greatly I think it's actually one of the most humble statements in all of the scripture. I'll show that to you in just a minute. And then the other thing that is so great about it is in that little phrase and in everything leading up to it, what we see from Paul is he actually gives us a remedy to the greatest problem in our life, which is our sin. So that's what the whole text is about. And you know, we, we're in this series on the gospel and understanding what the gospel is, but he, and then, and then here it is, not just that we're sort of at zero and then we sin and that puts us in the negative category. So we go, sorry, and that pulls us like back to zero. And that's kind of our whole life is just kind of that. Like that sounds like a sort of boring way to do it. But really what we're gonna see is the message of the gospel is that we really, really are forgiven. And I heard this, I preached this last week, that it is good news that we have of what God has done on our behalf um, through his son, Jesus Christ. That we are forgiven, but it's not just sort of, uh, I can technically get back to zero every so often. That, that, that's not what it is. What Paul's about to do is um, something I'm calling redeeming sin. That he can, we, he can take, we can take the sin in our life and instead of just sort of back up to zero, that you can take it and it can be redeemed and that you have something you can do with it, that you can bring glory to God from it, that it'll be for God's glory and our good, that there's something we can do with it. That's what Paul is going to say. That this idea of the gospel, that if we could just go back and if we can picture Christ hanging up there on the cross and, in, and instead of just sort of observing it, but to think what the good news says, which is that should be me up there. Like I should be the one that's paying for my sin. But the good news is Jesus is hanging up there and the even better news is if you tried to go up there and pay the penalty for your sin, it wouldn't be a sufficient penalty or it wouldn't be a sufficient payment. And so Christ has done it. And so this gospel is he has lavished forgiveness upon us, the thing we could never just earn on our own. He has offered it to us and all we do is receive it by grace through faith. Paul went around preaching this message of the gospel and it was so, so precious to him. Normally when Paul wrote his, writes his letters, he says, you know, 
you know, hi, this is Paul, grace and peace to you. And he says like a little intro thing. And then he usually says something encouraging, like, be, you know, to the Romans, like because of you, the gospel's being proclaimed all over the world. And there's like a second piece that's usually a, you know, way to go, kind of a blessing. And not in this book of Galatians. He goes, you know, I, Paul, write this, grace and peace. And then he just shifts so hard. Listen to this. He just goes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And he says, not that there is another one. There's no other hope. There's no other good news apart from this gospel, the true gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What he said is, he has come and he has preached the gospel of grace. And what they are starting to believe is the gospel of grace plus works, meaning God's done like half, and so I'll kind of do the other half, and when you put those together, it equals 100, and so therefore my salvation was accomplished by God, but also by me on my merits, on what I have done. The way they got this was because there were some people called Judaizers, and what happened is they were still the, um, the you know, that we have our roots in Judaism, and so they said, you know, when Christ came and then Paul went and started preaching this gospel of grace, the Judaizers would sort of make sure Paul has skipped town and then slip in behind them and go, that's great, the gospel of grace, and also don't forget to keep the law of Moses. Okay, good, have a good day, and then they'd take off. And so this message came in that sounded really good because it was like, hey, all the Old Testament stuff that's so, part of, so much a part of our heritage, um, and then you've got this new gospel of grace, let's just sort of combine the two of them, and then that's the new gospel. And so they were doing that. It was a compelling message that they would offer, and people were starting to buy it. And so Paul says, I'm amazed that, you would, you would, uh, that you're so quickly deserting him. Notice that he doesn't say you're deserting a certain set of beliefs. You're deserting a worldview. You're deserting a philosophy. He says you are deserting him. When we believe a different gospel, it's not just I've sort of changed my thinking. It's we are completely changing how we see God. We are deserting him. The word for deserting is a military term. There's an old school term. Uh, if you would, I wore my coat today for this. You've got your coat and you've got like a, um, a patch or a pin or some kind of insignia that says which team you're on. Like if you're at war, you know which team you're on or you might have a, um, a national flag or some kind of flag to identify who you're a part of. And then what they would do is they would, a lot of times people would be so on a team, they'd pin it right there and then they would realize that they're losing and so they'd want to, ch want to change teams. And so what they would do is they would take their coat and they would just turn it over whatever was right there. And so they called them turncoats. Or you might know the name traitor. That's what he's saying. You're a traitor to the gospel. You were on our team, and then all of a sudden you went, hey, that sounds good too. And so he says, I'm astonished that you're doing this. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. Even if, Paul says, even if I come back later and I tell you something different, don't believe me. Remember what I said the first time, let him be accursed. And in case you don't know if it's a big deal, he says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So is it a big deal? And the answer is, Paul seems to think it really, really is. This is why, like the false gospel that I see in our world today especially have you heard, you've heard the phrase about if we would all just come together, 
We could all just save ourselves. Um, That is one of the false gospels in the world today that somehow salvation is just, if we as mankind just sort of start doing good, then that's salvation. And a Christian says, are you kidding me? A Christian says, mankind isn't the answer. We are the problem. We are the sinful ones. We can come together, but we don't just come together with just what we have. We can come together, but we need to come, under, come together and bend a knee to God Almighty. That's the hope of the world. But a false gospel that goes out today is just, if we are just good enough, which is exactly what they're preaching, by the way. So the so Judaizers slip in and go, hey, this gospel of grace is pretty good. And then don't forget, you need to earn the other 50% or whatever it is of your salvation. And those two together do, really do the trick. Listen, if, if the gospel is reduced to something we earn, it is no longer the good news. If there is any merit-based system, there would be no martyrs in the world. You know why? It's because at the end of the day, you don't really go, wow, look at what God has done. You go, wow, look at what God has done, and whoo, look at what I have done. And the two of us together did this, and so the glory of God is diminished in that moment because we kind of go, he did us a solid, and then we did this back, and so therefore, this is a good faith, and I'll just kind of go, but I've already paid my price for what God has done for me. And over the centuries, what we see is people that understand this gospel, that God has done a work, that God has sent his son Jesus. All we do is receive it by grace through faith. And that's why there are martyrs. Because they go, I could never, ever pay this back. My life is his. When it's unearned, this idea of living a life of surrender is pretty normal. So <clears throat> I've told some of you this before, but we, um, we have some friends that um, at one point... Uh, I was trying to go to seminary, and the, the short version is um, they knew we couldn't afford it, and they, he'd made some phone calls, and he said, you should go to seminary, and don't even worry about it, we'll pay for it. He made some phone calls, and some guys pulled some money, and they paid for it. So I got to go get a master's and a doctorate at seminary, and I didn't pay a dime. And every single semester, I'd just send them, it's $3,481.92, and they would, they would give me a check, and I would go and turn it in. And I, there was not one time in the entire time that I was going to seminary that they ever made me feel like, you know, like, here's your check. Oh, by the way, I, you know, we're going to be out of town. I could really use someone to watch my dog, you know, if you don't mind. Anyway, so, woo, like, there was none of that. All right. It was just simply, I remember when they told us, we're walking up the stairs, Nikki's in front of me, and he just said, hey, by the way, you know, no one else was there. He just said, we're gonna, we're, we got it covered, you know, and he was just all excited about it. And Nikki, like, straight up almost fell back on me. And as I was almost falling back already, my knees were a little weak, and it was just this incredible moment of, oh my gosh, this story happens to other people, not us, you know, that kind of a thing. And so I did, so every single time, I, I would I'd get a check, I'd go and I'd pay. And, and here's the thing. Why it's so stirring and so moving for me. There's no possible way that I could add up everything they gave and that I could go one day go, you know what they're waiting for? They're waiting for me to write them a check plus interest uh, at some point. This was, I am giving, I am giving, I am giving, and I just want you to receive it and find the joy in receiving the gift that's what God has done for us. So you know it's funny, like we haven't seen this family in, in years, but if we were back in Texas where they live and we were to run into them, our hearts involuntarily, not out of guilt, 
not out of obligation, but just out of love because what they've lavished on us, our hearts would just instantly, uncontrollably leap for joy. That's what we have in what Christ has done for us. We can't pay it back. We can't pay any of it. We receive by grace what he has done. Now he could have, this works-based sort of gospel could have um, appealed to some people, and it did, but Paul says, now, if for now am I seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. He says, I'm gonna keep preaching the gospel regardless of your response to it. Then he says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, meaning any other gospel or any, any perversion of it is not from God. It is man-made. It is invented by us. And he said, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation from Jesus Christ. So this is Paul saying, Jesus has told me this. If you've read the book of Acts, you know his interactions, um, his conversion story. And so he is revealing something that came from Christ himself. Which, by the way, is a problem if somebody says, I really like the parts of the Bible that, that Jesus is in, but I'm not as big a fan of Paul's stuff. Because Paul keeps saying, Jesus told me these things. This and about 20 other scriptures pose a problem for that. We, we believe all the Bible or we believe none of the Bible seem to be the two options that the Bible gives us. And what he's saying here is this is not man's gospel, anything else is. And there's a lot of different false gospels in the world today. I think the one that plagues um, us the most in our 20, well, what is it, 2023 now, um, Western society in America, is the true gospel is one that is filled with truth and it is also filled with love. But what happens is sometimes we just err on the side of truth, sometimes we err on the side of love, and we neglect the other one. So, for example, um, more of the real conservative churches, an, er an error they could make is um, to say it is truth, it is truth, it is truth, it is truth, and if you don't like it, that's just tough, and if you never come back, we don't really care. Okay, that'd be an extreme, obviously. Truth, 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 don't care about people. That's some of the errors that some of the more conservative churches could make. We gotta be careful about that. Or the other one, some of the more liberal churches could do something like this. We just love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. I wanna wrap my arms around you, I wanna pull you in, but I am never ever going to get to what is true and what is false. That's another error on that side. Okay, those are extremes, obviously. But what we do is we, we are try to be like Christ to say we are proclaiming truth and we are proclaiming love. And those two are not a contradiction. In fact, they go together beautifully. Now here's what he says next. He continues. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. This is Paul writing about himself. I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. It kind of made sense because here is this man who is just steeped in Judaism who all of a sudden Christ comes and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It starts to go out to the Gentiles and Paul and others were going, now wait a minute. This is a big shift. And so he persecuted the church violently. He tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, among the Jews. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul just said, I was in honors Judaism in school. That's what he just said. All the other little boys were memorizing the Torah when they were like 12. I got it when I was 
seven or something like that. Like he's saying, I was advanced, I was far. Like the other moms were like, why can't you be more like little Paul or Saul at the time? Why can't you be more like him? Like he's saying, man, I was just killing it in this way of living. That's what he's saying. And so he's saying, I was zealous about it. And then here's what he says. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the ironic Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem, those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him, that's Peter, 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And when I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. This is an odd batch of scripture, I have to say. Um, This is all the places he's gone the gospel had moved him to. He'd had success there, and the gospel was just going and going and going and going. But it does sort of feel like, like you ever have anybody, like they go on a vacation you remember those old, I'm gonna, well, those slide, you remember you get those little slides and you put them in the thing and then you push a button and it goes, cha-chung, and it turns and it's projected. Do you not know what I'm talking about? Like they go on a thing and they go, do you wanna come see slides from my vacation? You're like, no, I mean, yes, and then you're watching all of them. Now it's on our phones and we go, let me just show you what we did every second of every day while we were on our, on our trip. Like I almost feel like that's what Paul's doing is he's like, oh, then I went to Cilicia, then I was over here, and he's just like sharing it and we're all going, what is your point, Paul? And here's what the point is. I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. He'd never met them, but he says, my reputation preceded me. Here's what he says. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And then he says, and they glorified God because of me. Here's what Paul's slideshow was just all about. I just went all these places and just proclaiming the gospel and the gospel just started to spread like crazy. And some of the places I hadn't been yet, when I got there, all they knew was this is the guy who used to persecute us and now he's preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And so Paul's not saying um, they glorified God because of me, like how incredible I was or how eloquent I was or how great of a human being I was. He's saying the exact opposite. He's saying they are glorifying God because the only thing they knew about me is how terrible I was and now I'm going and proclaiming the gospel. And so they are getting to see a living, breathing example of the grace of God through this man named Paul. So when he says they glorified God because of me, he's saying they glorified God because of what a horrible human being I was and that God can save even me, he can save even them. That's what that means. See how humble that is? Like my wretchedness that God has redeemed became a testimony to others that they couldn't deny. So no, he's not being cocky. He's doing the exact opposite. It's the same message I've said a little bit last week of if God can forgive Paul, people are looking and going, wow, if he can forgive that guy, if he can turn that guy's life around like that, maybe he can do mine as well. Now Paul had a fortunate, unfortunate thing, I guess, that his sin was so public that he got to be this walking, living, breathing testimony of God and his grace because everybody knew who he was. And then all of a sudden here he is defending the faith, preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And so they would get to look and they just kind of had to, like when he was proclaiming it, they would look and go, wow, 
God has completely turned this man's life around. He can turn our life around too. That's what they would see. But it does make me think for um, one of the things going on in our world today, when we have a beautiful public appearance, when everything is great on the outside, it looks like we would be singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a pretty good person like me. There's, um, it's not as big a deal in Colorado, but where we used to live is big time. Like, you'd be sitting there, like, getting ready, and, and I got to talk to a lot of families about this, and it got to be just a joke that it would be like, you, you know, your husband and wife are sort of at each other's throat, like, get the house clean, and people are coming over, and kids, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And then the doorbell rings, and it's almost like a Pavlovian response that you have to go put a smile on. And then you go to the door, hey, welcome, come on in. And what happens? Everything's good, everything's wonderful, and everything's, nothing's ever wrong. And, and as a result, we miss an opportunity if people just think we're pretty perfect with a few, little, a few little minor defects. We miss an opportunity to demonstrate what God has done for us. Amen. If I never let anybody in and they look and go, wow, Jim's got it all together. At least he puts on a good face whenever he's in person or standing up here or whatever it is. Then I may get glory for that. But if I can be open and transparent and actually have people that know the real me and start to know, I have some of the same wrestlings, the same struggles, the same, same propensities to sin that many of you do. And then I still get to stand up here and do what I do. Now there's something in there all of a sudden where you don't go, wow, Jim's a nice guy. You start going, wow, God worked in even his life to bring him up here to do this. And there is something inherent that gets um, taught when we're transparent with each other. Let people in. Oh, some of you just panicked. Let people in. Like, is, is there really somebody in your life that, that knows the real you? You need to know, like, God knows the real you, and you are fully loved and fully accepted because of what Christ has done. That's the beauty of the gospel. But when you are fully known and fully loved by his people, you have an opportunity to not just get your sin and go, oh, good, I'm kind of back to zero because I'm forgiven, but to be able to go, look at what God has done. When you walk openly, when you walk transparently, like the 150 people we were just talking about that are in life groups, to, to really be able to just go, this is the real me, this is really who I am. You are giving an opportunity for God to be glorified for what he did in your life. And I know that terrifies some people, so I'll give you, I'll give you step one if that's really hard for you. Are you able to admit specifically, even in the quietness of your own heart and your own mind, to yourself the sin that you have that God has saved you from. Because a lot of times we just can't even be honest with ourselves. Like with sin in our own life, with our own shortcomings, it's, um, we'll usually just, you know, one, one, one approach is just to say, I'll just be kind of numb to it. I'll just sort of say it's okay or I'll, I'll find other people that just tell me that what I'm doing, that clearly God says no, that they say yes to. I'll go, I'll just hang out with those people, right? And I gotta tell you, as soon as that truth starts to shift, they are at best dangerously flirting with preaching a false gospel. And we just heard what Paul thinks about that. But that can be a temptation. Or what if there's so much, no one's gonna agree with me, no one's gonna affirm it, and then all of a sudden loneliness can ensue. Carrying a secret stinks. You know, as a pastor, um, frequently people will 
just come to me and want to chat, and I'll use an example that I haven't had here, but um, you'll get the point here. Um, when, when somebody comes to me and says something like, I'm sort of struggling financially, or I'm struggling with how, you know, I'm, I'm not real great at managing finances. If I let them off the hook with just that, then it's, oh yeah, you kind of do that and everybody has problems with that and, and I get it, okay, well no problem, no big deal. But if I can just, out of love for that person, help dig down a little bit farther, then they can see, oh yeah, this is my own depth of depravity in this area. And then all of a sudden, you, when they get to see me go, I can't wait to see what God is gonna do with this, how he is gonna turn you around. All of a sudden, what just happened is you didn't kind of go from here to here. You just went from the reality of where you are to go, and God is going to do a work in your life, and I'm going to be here for you, and we're going to walk through this together. At that point, I usually don't have to tell them, like, well, you know, that's wrong what you did, right? Because they probably know that's what they're doing is coming in to talk about it. My job is how can I help you on the journey, and then together what we can do is we can see the restoration that God gives so when someone says, like, you know, I'm kind of struggling with this, I go, that's nice. We're going to dig down a little bit. And if it gets to, no one's going to want to come meet with me after this. Sorry. I promise it's out of love uh, and tenderness. But um, to get down to, well, why is that? Why, why is that? Is it really just kind of, yeah, I just wish I did it better? Or is it, you know, I've, I've, I've actually, I've got a secret bank account. Like, I'm hiding some stuff. Or I've got an addiction to this kind of spending. Or, um, you know, I, I feel like I should be able to handle all this. You know, I'm, I'm a man. I should be able to handle it. And I can't. And so it's humiliating and embarrassing or whatever it is. Like to really just dig down to what that is. And then I get the, be- I get the beautiful um, responsibility or just the blessing to be able to go, okay, here we go. Let's go from wherever you are. If you can name where you are and then we start to move, then you get to see the glory of God in all of this. But if everything in our lives is just surface, 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 even to ourselves, it will minimize the glory of God. And what Paul does is he's, he's saying, look, I went out and everybody knew all my junk. They said, this is a guy that used to try and kill us and tried to kill the church of God. And all of a sudden, here he is going, no, 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 I was wrong. You gotta believe this. And they're going, wow, what depravity in him. That's good, because I know my own depravity. And God has saved him. Praise God. That is a God worth worshiping. Amen. That's what this text is about. You can only understand the depth of grace as much as you understand the depth of the sin that makes it necessary.